Ciao ragazzi, un saluto di Worldwide. Thank you so much for tuning into another podcast. A small apologies from us for the time lapse in between episodes, but coming off a little bit of a sickness as well as a couple of other members of the brand as well. But we are back. The Mercato is in full swing. We've achieved the plus Valenza. The capital gains look done and we've got an awesome a moderately length show for you today. Joining me is one of the realest guests and one of my friends, Alessandro. Thanks for joining me again, mate. My pleasure as always. Hi, everybody. And I have another special guest today. His name is Gaetano Tarmina. How are you, Gaetano? I'm doing just great. Thank you for having me. Anytime, guys. If you have not checked it out yet, the Cultural Land podcast with David and Alex. It's one of the best Italian football podcast or any form of Italian football media. It's fantastic. Gaetano was a guest on the episode, I think last week or maybe a bit earlier than last week. And he gave an absolutely fantastic talk on a specialized subject, which is financial fair play. And I'm really looking forward to Gaetano, you giving a professional insight for some of our listeners today on financial fair play, especially uh, with it being coinciding with Inter at the moment being the end of June and moving into the month of July with the plus Valenza reached. But we'll get back into that a little bit later. First of all, Gaetano, thanks again for joining us. Would you mind introducing yourself for the fans and also telling them a little bit about yourself, how you became an Inter fan? Perfect. Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you for your kind words regarding the interview and, and the note that I wrote about financial fair play. A little bit more background on myself. Uh, I became an Inter fan because when my family came over from Italy, uh, there were the, the family members that I was closest to were, were Interista. And um, one of the first jerseys I owned was a Bobo Vieri jersey. And for me, watching them play, and, uh, it was, was, I was in love with the team. And I think that kind of generated a passion for Calcio as a whole. Uh, um, and I think growing up and having like family models that were Inter fans and kind of going, uh, having rivals that like cousins that were Milan fans and, and Juve fans, I think that that is what fostered my love for the team. And having, being honored to watch them win a treble was just one of the highlights, the high points in my life. And I, uh, and I, I'm forever thankful for that. So yeah, that, that fueled my passion for Calcio and fueled my passion to write this piece. So, yeah, that's, thank you. That's awesome, man. I'll just let you know. A couple of others know, but um, I became an Inter fan because my father grew up in a small western Sydney suburb called Prairiewood. Um, and he used to play indoor cricket with an Italian boy down the street. And he'd go pick him up every uh, once or twice a week. Anyway, one day my father rocked up to his door to pick him up for indoor cricket. And his mum answered and said, Mi dispiace, Santino, Christian's just taken a flight to Italy. So my dad actually grew up in Western Sydney with Christian Bobovieri. And one day, went to pick him up, one day went to pick him up for an indoor cricket session. And his mum said, I'm really sorry, but Christian's gone off to Italy to try out for some football. And that's a real story. That one. Wow. And I'm pretty, pretty much an Interesta for the same as you as well. I grew up with an array of Juventus and Milan cousins and uncles. And it's just me and my dad that support Inter. So we stand strong, brother. Mm -hmm. Stand strong. <laughs> All right. Um, let's dive into a little bit of the Mercato, which, you know, Inter's been in the headlines pretty much since day one that the season ended. We expected this. Qualifying for the Champions League, it's going to be more consistent with the media. Um, Alessandro, I know, has very similar views to me. Very mixed feelings about the Mercato. I'd say the names that were being linked with Alessandro are a lot more consistent than recent years. 
would you say? Because it seems like we've, we've identified our targets. And even though the media likes to exaggerate and chuck rumors here and there, would you say that we've identified key targets, Alessandro? Yeah, um, it, it's um, a weird summer for us. We're not used to this clarity. I think we are, we are actually looking for something weird to happen, something, some surprise. But uh, the, our new coach, our new president, our new structure was pretty clear. We are not past the Inter anymore. Uh, we have our targets. We know what we're doing. We know what we want to do next year. And that's it. And we are going to work um, as much as possible to get to those players. And that's it. <laughs> not going to be yeah. any, any weird stuff going on, any weird names. And uh, yeah, uh, it, it's unusual. But I think it's a step um, forward for us, finally. Um, the the people in charge seems to uh, get control of the situation. Yeah, absolutely. Let's stay on you for a sec, Alessandro, and talk a little bit about Stefano Sensi. If you haven't already, ragazzi, check out the YouTube channel because I've just put up a video that's given my thoughts on the Sensi transfer, which looks about 99.9% .9 official. Alessandro, what are your thoughts about signing the Sassuolo midfielder? And what do you think his role is going to be under Antonio Conte this season? So... The Sensi deal is the only thing that surprised us, me, uh, first, but I think everybody. Um, and I think it's um, a pretty smart one, just because, um, first of all, it brings some plus valenta for us. Um, is a player young, uh, is just alone so far. So uh, for all the people who say, oh my God, 25, 30, 35 million, it's a lot for this player, but actually for the first year for the loan, it's five million and it's not even cash. It's just uh, some youngster um, sent uh, as a swallow. So all in all, uh, I don't I don't see anything bad coming from this um, from this transfer. Um, and we have a player that can give some. Um, rest to Brozovic, Brozovic when he needs some. Uh, so um, I, I don't know exactly, <clears throat> sorry, I don't know exactly how much he will play and in which position exactly. Uh, I think um, under Conte, um, uh, the, the situation will, will be uh, clear once we start the season. And after that, I mean, it should be pretty low. So let's yeah, say... It's a, um, it's a very... It, sorry. Go on, go on, sorry. Go on, go on, sorry. Uh, yeah, no, I was saying uh, probably we're going to play with three midfielder, Brasovic, hopefully Barella, and, uh, and Gagliardini or Messino. So since we take, um, you know, we have the Champions League, we have Coppa Italia, we have Serie A, so... Uh, in this case, we're gonna have some rotation and uh, and having um, having Sensi, having Nangolan, maybe having uh, Vecino and Gallardini. Those six, maybe seven player, uh, they're gonna uh, they're gonna play this all all these competitions. So um, yeah, I, I, I don't know exactly how much. Nobody know 
um, uh, I'm assume at the moment. Yeah, well, it's a virtually it's a very very low risk uh, transfer. That's what I was going to say. It doesn't really yeah. implicate us to any risks if it doesn't work out in the first season. I'm sure the board and Marotta will find a solution. But um, as you said, I'm pretty pretty confident with stacking up a few names in midfield. Last season, it was the area that we really needed more depth in, and it looks like Conte is overcompensating in the middle of the park. And I would much rather he overcompensate uh, than undercompensate, especially with, <clears throat> as you said, Coppa Italia, Champions League. There's going to be many fixtures. Gaetano, switching over to you. What are your thoughts on the Stefano Sensi transfer, mate? So, it, as, as Alessandro mentioned, it, it definitely caught me by surprise. I think it was the one player that we really weren't linked with in the past. Um, it, it was kind of a, just a surprise out of nowhere. Um, but I really do like it. I think as you mentioned, I think there's depth that needs to be addressed in the midfield. I think he is a player that Inter doesn't have many, and that's someone that can break down a defense when when, uh, when the defense sits back. You know, when you're playing an Inter team, especially when Inter's at home, or, or when you're playing on the road for a team that needs a point, and they're going to sit back and wait to get you on the counter, Sensi has the ability to break down a defense with a pass. Um, I, think, I think he, and again, low risk, you know, it doesn't uh, preclude us from going after Barella, which for me should be the number one target in the transfer window. I think he is going to be, I think he is so dynamic. He can be really a force and it doesn't preclude us from that. So I, I think this is a, it could, it's a low risk, potentially very high reward with Sensi. Yeah, absolutely. Let's stay on Barella now that you've mentioned him. Man, I remember recording a podcast or a couple of podcasts at least six months, nine months ago where Alessandro outlined Nicola Barella and uh, Sandro Tonali as two names for midfield. And I remember just thinking, yeah, I've heard of Barella and I know he's good, but I don't know how good he is. And then I started to pay more and more attention, especially at the start of last season. And I would echo your thoughts, Gaetano, Nicola Barella. He's just a class above the rest of the youth of the Italian team, him and Federico Chiesa. And I'm really, really happy that not only did we identify Barella early, but we seem to have had this deal done behind closed doors for a long time. It's about 95 to 99% done. And if it does materialize efficiently over the next week, we'll know that Marotta and co had this one done a long time ago. You remember, boys, in January, in the January Mercato, halfway through the season, there was so many talks about Chelsea putting bids in and it was dismissed straight away. Napoli went right to Cagliari and the president and said, we're ready to table a bid. And Nicola Barella said no. Then AC Milan came in only a few weeks ago and Barella has refused again. It seems like he's ticking all the boxes, Gaetano. Would you agree? He wants to play for us. He's an Inter fan. He's refused other clubs and he looks like he's got his eyes on the prize. So what? What else do you have to say about Barella, mate? I, I absolutely agree. I think he, he, he's one of the – he plays with passion. He absolutely like – he is everywhere on the park. He, there's, when I was watching the U21 tournament, he was absolutely everywhere. He was in the attack. He was, he was making crucial tackles. Um, but also, I think him denying Napoli, him denying Milan are something that is – you know, that, that idea of, like, loyalty almost kind of is a forgotten task. I mean, we're seeing what's going on with Roma and, you know, the lack of loyalty there. And now you're seeing Barella, who's showing not only loyalty to Gallieri, but loyalty to his word, to Inter. This this player not only has skill, has heart, has determination, but he also he's just he's more morally just a perfect player for Inter. If Skriniar if wasn't the, the captain to be, I would 
say Barella coming in looks like the next one. But, uh, but yeah, I think Barella has everything that you need for in a midfield general. Yeah. Before we move on to another target, Alessandro, anything you want to add about Nicola Barella? I know you've made your sentiments pretty clear on past podcasts, but are, are you excited to get that deal wrapped up or what, man? Yeah, I'm very excited. And um, the only thing I can think of is um, players they are linked to Inter and they're, they don't bring uh, any plus Valenza. Probably they're going to be signed after the 1st of July for just a matter of, you know, books and uh, all the finance aspect of the deals and nothing more. So the Jaco thing was going to happen because there was some uh, youngster involved and, uh, but uh, probably not anymore. So that's being pushed next week. Barella, same thing. There was no, um, any um, youngest involved. So, um, that's the only thing that, you know, it's like every, it's like Godin. Uh, these players that everybody knows are probably going to join Inter, but they're not actually joining Inter and it's starting to become a little bit frustrating, but it's just a matter of, um, you know, keeping every, everything under control, um, under the financial aspect that that's it. Um, yeah, and I, uh, not only I like Barella as a player, but as a person, he's really young, but he's acting as like a veteran. And that's very important, especially under Conte. Yeah, it is frustrating because, you know, we're only human and, you know, impulsively we check the news pretty much every hour, two hours. And it's easy, not, it's easy to get frustrated with all the news that's jammed down our throats. But when you really take a step back and analyze it, everything's been done sequentially very well. We had a June 30 deadline to meet the Plus Valenza. We met it, even though we do kind of wait till the last three or four days. But we've done that. And now all the, all the books are checked off and the steps are in place to have a very successful July. Uh, moving on to our next transfer target, which is also done. See, this is what Alessandro just said. You got Godin, Barella, Sensi, and now Hector Lazzaro. All these players, there's not one official announcement yet, and all of them are teetering on the 99%, just waiting to sign a contract. So Hector Lazzaro, Gaetano, is about to come in from Hertha Berlin. Seven assists and three goals last season. Do you know much about the right wing back for Hector uh, from Hertha Berlin, Gaetano? Uh, I don't know much about him. I've done a little bit of research. Um, I do think in a Conte system, you need a lot of depth in that area. Uh, D'Ambrosio doesn't seem like a person that could play that role. I think D'Ambrosio is looking more for one of those ba- those uh, three centre-back positions. Um, I think if Petisic is... I hear Petisic is rumoured to go. If he's going to go, you're going to need a lot more depth there. Um, Lazzaro, look... I mean, his assist numbers seem pretty sufficient. Um, crossing from the flanks has been a missing uh, weapon in in, uh, in Inter's uh, repertoire. So I think uh, if he can put a good cross, I think he's well needed on the team in Inter. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for the signing. I'm excited as well. Danilo D'Ambrosio is a player that has made uh, fans like Alessandro and I eat our words over the last season. And I was more than happy to because he had a heroic campaign. Alessandro, Danilo D'Ambrosio obviously can't play the right wing back role. Do you think that he's going to be used as a centre back rotation for Antonio Conte? Probably, probably. 
D'Ambrosio and Lazaro are completely different players. D'Ambrosio is more defensive player. Lazaro is more um, uh, um, attacking wing. And uh, that's how he was playing before Hertha Berlin. It was actually um, an attacking winger, mostly from the right, but it was switching to the left. And um, if I, I can say something now that probably uh, you're going to remember later on the season is going to be our Cuadrado. And uh, um, I, I kind of hate Cuadrado, but <laughs> just because it was playing in other teams, having that kind of player, uh, it's, it's really, it could be pretty useful for us. Uh, meaning somebody that uh, attack and can go one versus one and probably win some some free kick for us. Uh, that's that's a lot, especially in this modern soccer. Um, so I'm I'm excited. I don't know how is uh, how well it's gonna play in the Conte system, but um, probably I mean Quadrado did pretty good. And so I, I hope he can do the same thing for us. Yeah, absolutely. All right, moving on to the attack. Now, I don't know about you guys and how much attention you pay to social media, but Romelu Lukaku is doing everything he can to make everyone in the universe know that he wants to move to Inter. I don't think he's worn a piece of clothing that's not Nerazzurro for the last two weeks. He's taking, photo, he's taking photos on park benches that are the colour blue. He's getting likes by other Inter players. I think it's all very premature unless unless they really do know something behind the scenes that hasn't been leaked at all to the media because it's just really uh, obnoxiously in our faces at the moment. Gaetano, what are your thoughts on Romelu Lukaku, especially considering the price tag that Manchester United refused to budge on? I, I think Lukaku would absolutely dominate in Syria. I think he is a upgrade over a Duvan Zapata who had a tremendous season this year. I think Lukaku, just his physicality alone is... I don't think there's somebody in Syria that has the, the, that type of skill set. But there's the, there's the big problems. Like, one, can we afford him? And two... Um, if we can't, there's one person that currently has that position that we need to sell, and he necessarily doesn't seem like he wants to leave anytime soon, though a lot of fans would love him to go. Um, I think Mario Cari Icardi is the stumbling block. I think he needs to go for this Lukaku move to happen, or we're going to have to raise funds another way, because a $72, $80 million price tag is, is very, very steep. So I, I would love to see it. Um, I think Lautaro and Zeko are a tandem that could work just fine and secure top four again. But, uh, but yeah, we, we'll, we'll have to see. I don't know. Uh, Lukaku, I would love to see him, but I don't know if it's financially uh, feasible. Yeah, look, as we speak, Lautaro Martinez has just scored his sixth goal in four games for Argentina. Um, so in, in under 10 minutes again, I think next season Antonio Conte is going to absolutely unleash El Toro. And it's making me feel a lot more relaxed about the striker situation, to be honest. I think we'd be in a little bit of a pickle if we didn't have a young Lautaro firing on all fronts. So I'm very confident. Alessandro, just going over quickly to you before we move on. 
How happy are you with Lautaro Martinez's progress in the national team? And, you know, we saw so many games last season under Spalletti where Martinez didn't come in until the last 10 to 12 minutes. And even then he looked good. How excited are you to see Lautaro get regular, regular starting time, Alessandro? That's amazing. Uh, I was watching the first half of the Argentina game today with a couple of Chilean friends. And they didn't know Lautaro before that game. And after 45 minutes, they were like speechless. They were like, who the heck is this guy? It's amazing. <laughs> you know? And, and so, yeah, as you, as you said, for next season, I feel more relaxed. At the same time, uh, I don't think Icardi leaving is necessary for the Lukaku deal to happen, uh, especially how um, Inter would like to make the deal, meaning uh, a loan uh, with, um, for about like 10 million for the for the first season and then the rest the big uh, money uh, in the next seasons so um it will be a low impact at first <clears throat> sorry um so at that point icardi could stay uh, the reason for icardi to leave is not fi um, financial at that point is more um because conte and everybody would like to start fresh, um, so no more drama. Um, so having Icardi there is just a reminder of what the previous season was, and uh, and you never know when the wife can speak like, oh, Icardi is not playing enough, or you know all that kind of uh, situations that uh, they're they're not good for us. Uh, so that's a real problem. I don't think it's financial. Uh, this point, especially since we uh, will we are good with the financial mm. fair play as long as I know. Uh, if I can add another thing more in general about the frustration we were talking about, um, I think especially the new generation or my generation to start. Uh, I grew up playing FIFA, Championship Manager, Scudetto, all these games that in one or two hours. They give you the power to go through a whole transfer season, two transfer season, three transfer season, uh, like nothing. And uh, and now dealing with real time, it's frustrating. You know, when you were trying to buy a player on a video game, it takes a couple of minutes, 10 minutes at most. And uh, it's not the, how it works. It takes days, it takes weeks sometimes, and that can be frustrating and <laughs> something that we need, we need to relearn, like how yeah. real life works, you know? Yeah, it's I agree. It's silly to say, but it's something that probably we, we especially again, new generation are not used to. They think like, oh, this team wants this player, just uh, it should be done in two days. That's not yes. how it works, unfortunately. While I agree for the most part, I think it's because there's a few clubs in the world, a la Manchester City, PSG and Real Madrid, that actually do look like they've got a PlayStation controller in their hands while they're working real life. They just seem to be mm -hmm. playing FIFA in real life here, making signings left, right and centre, no matter what the fee is. Um, but, you know, that's conversation for another time. Sticking on the financial fair play side of things, Gaetano, 
can you please give our listeners a thorough, or not thorough, as, as much as you want, a little bit of a breakdown of Inter's financial fair play situation, not only this season, but in the last few seasons leading up to this point. And then concluding mm-hmm. that, we're going to talk a little bit about our annoying cousins, AC Milan, and <laughs> in relation to UEFA, which I'm looking forward to. So Gaetano, grazie mille for coming on. Please give an insight to our fans because you you talk really really well, my friend. Thank you. I I, I appreciate the kind words. Uh, so regarding, uh, I'm gonna give a brief overview over Inter uh, over financial fair play, very brief, and then I'll talk about Inter specifically so it can fit right in. Oh, so um, say say why you know all this stuff. It's just it's not like <laughs> me or Anthony. You are actually in the that kind of business. So let's say. I, so yeah, I went. Uh, I uh, went to business school, and then I went to. Um, I just graduated law school, and now I'm currently studying for the bar exam in New York. Um, so I studied this material to write about in the International Law Journal at Fordham University. Um, I discuss the inception of financial fair play, how it applies, its objectives, and then. In my piece, in my note, I I, uh, I propose an argument for how it doesn't necessarily comply with uh, the the Treaty of the Functioning European Union, the TFEU, specifically Article 101. So it it definitely took oof, at least a month and a half, two months of just research uh, before I actually got to writing. So uh, that's that's the basis of of my knowledge regarding uh, financial fair play. So just a brief overview. Financial fair play was implemented to uh, secure the future financial stability of European clubs. Um, Admission into the big European tournaments is now conditioned upon a club meeting financial fair play, uh, financial fair play uh, levels. They need to meet correct financial standards. Uh, that the main standard is the break-even requirement. The break-even requirement says that a club uh, can spend only what it makes in terms of acceptable revenue streams. These revenue streams come from either player sales themselves, from uh, marketing, uh, media, TV, ticket sales, etc. One of the the non-okayed uh, revenue streams it are is money that is poured into from an owner. Unfortunately, a lot of the old Italian clubs were were operated this way. Um, Massimo Moratti, with with uh, Sabras Saras, I forget the actual name of the company, would would typically pump in money into Inter to purchase players. Uh, Berlusconi and Mediaset did the same, um, and the, the old Roma owners as well. So there was a lot of dependence on these owners. Uh, Financial fair play took that out. Now the club has to operate as a financial unit on its own. And that caused problems, right? Inter wasn't able to compete. They weren't able to purchase players as they used to. Uh, 2010, uh, when we were on top of the European world, we had a stacked team. But after that, there was a mass exodus of players. And that was throughout Serie A in general. So what... What later transpired was a series of new ownership, right? The top six City teams, as we speak, if I'm not mistaken, only two of them are owned by Italian owners to this day. That is Napoli and Juventus. 
everyone else is a foreign owner, which if you had said that 10 years ago, it would have been an outrageous thought. Um, so now we talk about Inter specifically. Uh, Inter was in a settlement agreement, right? When the, um, when the Zhang family purchased a, a majority share of, of Inter from Eric Tohir, they went out and purchased players. Joao Mario, the infamous Gabigol, um, and other and other players. However, we didn't have the revenue streams to to operate to to meet how much we spent. Um, that and other spending issues caused us to enter into a settlement agreement where we had to break even every single year with a. Uh, for the following three years. And that precluded us from purchasing players. Inter is finally meeting those conditions and now is an exiting the settlement agreement. Now we can finally spend, because we have one, improved revenue streams due to the TV deals. Two, we have international presence and that is allowing us for, for better revenue streams as well. And, and three, we're not handcuffed by a settlement agreement, which is stricter than the normal FFP regime. And I think now we should be able to see Inter finally compete on the, on the worldwide stage uh, and the, uh, the European stage specifically uh, in, in, the, in the transfer market. So that's a brief, I hope I did it justice. Um, if you have any questions, please feel free. That was fantastic, man. Thank you so much for the insight. Um, I do have a question, actually, and it doesn't actually relate to us. So thank you for giving a breakdown on Inter and how we've been able to come back and, you know, financially become stable for competing. Again, we see figures thrown around about the revenue that's been made in the past two seasons, and it's complementing the amount of investment that Zhang has made into the club as well. So no fans can really say that the current Inter lacks ambition. And that's something that we've complained about a lot since 2010. So it's good to see the ambition back in the club. <clears throat> Pardon me. The headline that is really breaking the Italian news this morning or last night, wherever you are and whatever time it is that you were looking at it, was the decision by UEFA. It looks to be an agreement between mm -hmm. UEFA and AC Milan in order for them to drop out of the Europa League this season. Gaetano, mm -hmm. would I be right in saying that AC Milan have just taken a step back, looked at the Europa League and gone, you know what, to hell with this competition for a season. We're just going to drop out, focus on Serie A. But what I want to know specifically, what does that mean for their financial fair play restrictions? Do they still, are they still fined? Are they still allowed to sign certain players? Can you give a little mm -hmm. bit of insight on where AC Milan stand at the moment on what they're projected to do over the next season? Mm -hmm. So regarding the, the, the ban in play, as you mentioned, it, it is an agreement, right? It's not necessarily, they, the yeah. adjudicatory, adjudicatory board didn't necessarily punish them. They agreed, which should give some insight into the hand that AC Milan was dealt, right? If they are willing to agree to a ban from European football for the, for the next season, that shows that they didn't really have a lot of leverage in the negotiation able to begin with so that should show a lot however financial fair play just because you're not necessarily under a settlement agreement or a volunteer agreement it still holds true you still cannot spend more than you than the club is making now the question is how much is ac milan making on an annual basis right the berlusconi to, i think it's a fair assessment to say ac milan is financially a few steps back 
from Inter. Inter has had more time to build their revenue streams post Moratti, right? The Berlusconi spent tremendous amounts of sums, but a lot of that was his own or media sets money, right? AC Milan has to still build up their commercial revenue between, you know, expanding internationally or or uh, potentially the new stadium or other media rights. So Milan is still going to be handcuffed in the in the market. They still need to balance their spending from the past to some extent. So I don't see a lot of transfer activity going on with Milan. I think I've, there's been a quoted budget of around 40 million euros. Um, I, I would say that that sounds about right um, because they don't have technically, the, the club as its own doesn't have uh, the revenue streams to, to fund uh, the necessary spending that, that Milan is used to. Okay, so just a quick Sorry, question then. So a lot of these rumors Sorry. that are coming out day in, day out, that they are linked with uh, signings like 35 million for Torreira, are, are they able to sign players like that? Do you think they're able to spend that kind of money? So, well, it depends how that 35 million is spent. I don't think they can't, they can't spend that out in one sum. They can't just, uh, for example, they're not able to drop $35 million in cash. If they were to pay that over installments, uh, like the two-year loan with the option to buy, at, and not a forced option, the option to buy at the end of that, perhaps, right? That would, be, that would look around 7 to $8 million a year. That might fall into their budget. Um, whether or not that's, a, that's appealing to someone like Arsenal, I don't know, because Torreira on the open market could probably fetch around $30 million up front. Um, so Mi Milan again is going to be restricted. I mean, you look at the other names that they're that they're list that they're linked to. They're not Lukaku, Barella, or anybody else. I think Barella was more of just a spook Inter. I don't think they actually had the financial resources to to make that deal. So uh, I I I think they're going to be handcuffed if they do land the Torreira deal. It's because Torreira has goes up has like will go up to Arsenal and say, listen, like I really want to go to Milan. Um, otherwise, I don't. I don't think Arsenal would be really attracted by uh, by Milan's offer. But yeah. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Alessandro, do you have anything to add to the financial fair play, or anything to speak to Gaetano about before we move into a couple of questions? Yeah, I do have a couple of questions. At least a couple of questions. I could spend <laughs> a lot of time <laughs> talking with with Gaetano. But uh, yeah. regarding the Milan situation. Just to be clear, so um, now that they decided to drop out the, the European competition, is that like is giving them a clean sheet for what happened, or what what's the situation? I mean, they start from this year, this new owner, or what's happening? So, so the. When the adjudicatory chamber of the UEFA control board um, issues a decision, it's, it's usually regarding a three-year window, right? I don't necessarily remember the three-year yeah. window in, that is currently. I think it's 2015, 16, 17. I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, but for that window, for that three-year window, this is what the punishment is going to be. It's going to be an absence from the Europa League. Come, it's going to be 2016, 2017, and 2018 that's going to come under the microscope. A new punishment could be 
implemented for that window as well if they see that the spending is absorbent compared to what they made that year. So Milan it still is in a pretty deep hole, right? Because I believe the, the big spending was 2017, right? And 2017 was only a year ago. So next year, 2017 will still count in that three-year yeah. window that, effort, that, that the control board is going to analyze. So they still need to balance their books, get their revenue in order to off-balance that big spending that they did in 2017. So they could face future punishment next year if they don't uh, monitor their spending or make a couple of player sales. Um, the other thing is they're missing, they're not going to have European revenue, right? They're not going to have the Europa League, though it's smaller than the Champions League. Europa revenue, as I discussed in my note, is still pretty significant. Um, so they're, they're not going to have that revenue to help balance. So they're going to have to find find revenue other ways, whether it's the sale of Donnarumma or Romagnoli or Caldada, we'll, we'll see. But I think Milan is going to be, it's going to have to really tighten its, its wallet and, uh, and make some player sales. Yeah, so my, my second question was actually uh, regarding the Donnarumma situation, meaning even if they sell Donnarumma, they still have to balance what they spent just the uh, last year for the Paqueta, Piantec, mm -hmm. and all those players. It's not like, oh, we sell Donnarumma, so now we have all the money to spend for this market, for this yes. transfer market. All right. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. So they say, say they do nothing else in this next window, right? They only sell Donnarumma. Say Donnarumma fetches $100 million, right? Um, that would have to one off balance the sales, the the, the, the purchases that they made in 2017 and the Paqueta and Piontek deals that they made. But I think we should also note that I think uh, Paqueta was around 35 million and Piontek was around 45 million. They necessarily didn't spend that figure in that in that year. It could be broken out. I don't remember how the deals were actually structured. Um, so they may not have to fully pay like 75 million for those two combined. But yes, that's how the algebra kind of goes out. And Got it. Whatever, met, whatever revenue they make from ticket sales or commercial, which now that they have a multi-billion dollar owner with substantial assets, they could actually see revenue streams increase in the future. So, or, or as Inter did in the past, uh, issue a bond that could help build financial revenue as well. That is acceptable for FFP standards. So there, okay, there are so, a bunch of ways to help do it, but we'll see how they do it. So let's just say from now on, if they don't reach the minus 30, I guess, for the, for the last mm -hmm. three years, they still can be sanctioned in some form. Yes, exactly, exactly. And um, that's, the, that's what we, that's basically the situation we are right now. So we, we end our settlement agreement, but we're still under financial fair play. Correct. Correct. Okay. Exactly. Correct. Well, very, so very right now this, this can be. Ooh. Sorry, go on, go on. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was, I was going to say that they can still, you could still, the agreement that they're in currently, the one that they signed for being, for exiting the Europa League, is a much stricter settlement agreement that, say, enters signed when they had to do the same after purchasing Joao Mario and Gabigol. 
It sounds like Milan's backs are really, really against the wall. And, um, you know, I don't want to sound too vindictive before the season starts, but I wish them all the very, very, very worst in luck <laughs> and in performance. So uh, thank you for that, Gaetano and Alessandro. <clears throat> Pardon me. Conscious of time, we'll move along to a couple of questions. We had four questions sent in this week, but two of them were actually answered to perfection when we spoke in the Mercato. So I'm only going to choose the two questions and they're both not related to Inter, which will bring a little bit of a different dimension to the end of this podcast. Both of them regard the Italian national team, both the youth under 21s and the women's. So the first question is from Victor in Sydney, and I'm glad somebody said it. What do you guys think of the Ajurini exiting another, excuse the language, bullshit format from UEFA? Me personally, I wasn't happy to see them go out but I think we shot ourselves in the foot against Poland, something like 32 shots on goal. Everybody knew the format of the competition before they went into it. Um, you remember Portugal won the 2016 Euro by getting out of the group stage with three competition points, three draws. They were hanging by the skin of their teeth and they went on to win it. So, uh, yeah, boys, your response to that one, Alessandro, what were your thoughts on the under-21s exiting? Do you think it was really unfair or do you think DiBiagio's one-dimensional tactics uh, is what screwed us over in the end? I guess the second more than the first. Um, <laughs> I, need, I need to be honest, uh, I didn't um, have time to watch so much, uh, especially because there are so many competitions going on at the moment. Uh, there is the um, African Cup, the Women's Cup, under 21, under 20, under 19, and uh, I, I don't know, there is so much going on, and uh, especially living on the other side of the world, uh, it's, it's so complicated, and so uh, I'm sorry, but I can't follow everything unless somebody decided to pay us, then I could spend the whole day watching <laughs> soccer. I'll be the happiest man alive. Absolutely. Uh, in terms of the second question, I'll go over to Gaetano. This is from Salvatore in Melbourne. So, repping the Australians strong once again in the questions. <laughs> the Italian women's team qualified for their first World Cup this year and they have you know they have exceeded expectations they were the third favorite in the group behind brazil and australia and they managed to get out of there and now we have a quarterfinal against the netherlands tonight gaetano have you been following any of the women's world cup what are your thoughts overall and are you impressed with the italian national team i am very impressed with the italian women's national team i think and i can't help but make comparisons to the, to the men's national team they are defending with the italian mentality i mean they're putting passion in. there's like a lot of grinta uh, I, i'm 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 i am so amazed to, to see a team um <laughs> unfortunately uh they are carrying some old italian uh achilles heel with, with losing to brazil um, um but luckily for them if, if they are true to the if they if they follow the, the steps of the italian men's national team if they happen to get germany in the semifinal, then they should be off to the final, no problem. So we'll we'll see. But I'm I'm so happy to see them. Uh, I, I think Italy needs a bright spot right now, given the past nas- uh, international displays um, and having the U21 team be undone by Di Biagi and or Di Biagio and um, and Biscotti at the same time. Uh, it's quite the uh, quite. It hasn't been a great international stage for the Italian national teams in the past. So it's good to see the women. Uh, doing well. Yeah, it's good to see the nation as a whole 
on the up on international level, you know, even if they don't bring home any any trophies in this off-season, which, as Alessandro said, there's so much international football going on at the moment that I'm actually really, really enjoying it. But we can definitely see the sequential steps that the Italian board are making in order to get the country back on the map. Guys, that is all we're going to have time for for this edition of the Inter Worldwide podcast. It's been a fantastic edition, a very informative edition. And I just want to thank my special guest, Gaetano, for coming on. And I have absolutely no doubt that we'll speak to you again soon. So thank you so much, mate. Thank you so much. It's been absolutely my pleasure. And anytime you'd like to have me, I'd happily come on. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you once again to our good friend, Alessandro. Always good to hear from you, mate. And we will speak soon. Thank you. Thank you, Gaetano. And I hope to hear you both pretty soon. Okay. And signing off from all three of us, Forza Inter, Forza Inter Worldwide. Ciao, ragazzi. Ciao.